says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another installment of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. And joining me to break down another crazy week of the NRL of players cussing off referees, reinterpretations of rules, one of the biggest sets of blowouts we've ever seen is a special panel for this. News team, assemble! And joining me is our specialist in cussing out the referees, my good mate Sixties. How you doing, big fella? <laughs> mate, uh, I, I reserve most of my comments for the touch judges, as you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm doing well, mate. And it's a quick turnaround, isn't it, from uh, Saturday last week and Into getting the win over yeah. the Bulldogs to a Thursday night game. I, I feel like my prep, my match prep isn't 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 quite on song. I, I Maybe <laughs> I spent too many days celebrating the win. I'm not sure. Yes, indeed. And, of course, the third person of our news panel, the specialist, the insider, the man that brings us all the good tips, it's Spiro. How you doing, mate? Going well, guys. I think I'm still on Saturday. I think I'm still trying to get over that result. It was such a good win and just a, a great day, and we'll get to this in the pod to get out there Saturday afternoon footy at Combank, three grades of football. It was a, a brilliant occasion. So I really enjoyed it. And uh, the focus turns to this week now. But talking about great things happening, mate, I I can't let thing, the, our time with you slip mm. by without giving you congratulations for the nomination that you've received in the, com- in the Australian Commercial Radio Awards for Best New Talent Off-Air. Mate, congratulations. It's uh, it's a well-deserved award for all the terrific work that you do on 2GB and, uh, and for the Nine Network as well. Thanks very much, 60s. Appreciate your support, 40, your support as well. But also uh, all the listeners of the Cumberland Throw, some lovely comments on that fantastic Instagram post you put up. I really do appreciate it. And it's a huge honour to be nominated such a prestigious award, Australia-wide, uh, for, as you mentioned, uh, best new talent off-air. So all the producing work and behind-the-scenes stuff I do, and it makes it all worth it to receive these uh, recognitions. It's not what we do uh, our work for, but it's a lovely way to be recognised and a nice little bonus and, and really appreciative of everyone at 2GB for the opportunities they've given me. And we'll find out on October 29 who the winner is. But regardless, it's just a, a great honour to be nominated and to be up there with some of the best new producers in Australia. Naturally, 60s and myself have been running around telling everyone that we, you know, taught him everything he knows about the industry. Obviously, the broadcast superstars. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, very, very loosely. Very, very loosely. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll be... I'll be going around saying, you know, in a couple of years down the track when Spiro's this big star, I knew him when. <laughs> I knew when. I taught him everything he knew by telling him, do the exact opposite of what I do. <laughs> so, um, yeah, look, mate, I, you've, you've got a great future ahead of you and, and this is a, a nice recognition to start things off. But someone who doesn't have maybe – that much of a uh, future ahead of them could be James Tarmow, who's been sent off in what might 
or might not be his final season. We're we're not too sure on that, but he's he's been sent off and he's he's trying to appeal the uh, two to three week suspension that he's picked up with that. Um, what's your take on his send off and and also I suppose that absolute capitulation from the Tigers on the weekend? It's an interesting one sixties with James Tamo and, and I I want to kick off by that and then we'll get into the Tigers capitulation. And bizarre, in the last minute of the game, frustration seemed to get to him. He lost his cool, and it's uncharacteristic of him. We've seen he's played 300 NRL games, and he isn't renowned for this type of behavior, but a a disappointing result and a uh, record-breaking loss for the Tigers does warrant that frustration. However, in no situation should anyone be uh, criticizing or questioning the integrity of a referee. It doesn't matter what the result is. We saw Brandon Smith do something similar a few weeks ago, use different language, but uh, insinuated the same thing by undermining the integrity of a, a referee in the NRL. And at the end of the day, no two ways about it. Tama was in the wrong and he should have been more careful about what he said, given there was only about a minute left on the clock. He should have just put him, put it behind him. And when he copped 10 in the bin, he should have just walked from the field, copped it on the chin and that was it. But we saw that he went one step further and received a send-off and a two-match ban, which could end his career in the NRL. Um, there has been some talk around good on him for fronting the media. I agree with that. He did the right thing. He came out. He dealt with it like an absolute gentleman and a credit to James Tamo for that. But I, I sort of take sides with Paul Gallen here that if you've done the crime, you've done the wrong thing, uh, you've got to serve the punishment. Now, Gal used the analogy of Billy Slater, who missed a grand final uh, because of uh, his foul behavior on the field. So at the end of the day, uh, unfortunately... I think Tama has to cop the two weeks. I know the Tigers are going to fight the charge. And I thought he was going to kick around for another year anyway. So I, I think, uh, yeah, he'll probably have to cop the two weeks and, and unfortunately sit it out on the sidelines. Yeah. I mean, by all accounts, and uh, you know, I've spoken to some people that know Tama you know, personally just because they were neighbours and whatnot. He is a fantastic man off the field. So that's probably, it sort of speaks orders of magnitude just how frustrated he is between the individual game itself and probably the West Tigers' overall season that he would lash out at an official like that. But the other part of me, it reminded me so much of a baseball manager when they, you know, they, they will complain about something, the referee will toss them from the game. So instead of, you know, taking their medicine and leaving, they come out and get their full money's worth. You know, Tamau, you know, had a running sp- verbal with the referee going back to the set before where he'd lost the ball and thought that it had been pulled out. And in that tackle, he got penalised for, I think, back-chatting originally, or maybe he was offside. He then got, you know, got his word in, got sent with the 10 minutes, and then when he got sent for the 10 minutes, he had to get another a mouthful in, get his full value, and then got marched. So, yeah, it's it, on the one hand, it's comical, uh, you know, because it's the West Tigers and, you know, just seeing someone blow up at a ref like that. And to be fair, he didn't say he was a cheat. He just said he was bad at his job. I believe the, the words were on the line was he was flipping incompetent or something like that. And it, a little bit more colourful than that. But, yeah, he, like you said, Spiro, he, he said something that was out of line. He's going to contest the charge, but I think more than likely he's going to have to wear the, the full two weeks. And in terms of the Tigers' capitulation as well, I mean, worst ever loss, uh, the highest ever uh, score at the SCG for a rugby league match as well. Disappointing, you know. You'd like to think that the Tigers were going to put up a little bit of a fight. It was the 150th match for Joe offerhand Gowie one of the Tigers' forwards. And although they've got nothing to play for, pride in the jersey is very, very important. And and for them to let the Roosters score 70 points is is just absolutely disgraceful. And and you question the decision 
from the Tigers to let go of guys like Nofaluma and uh, Oliver Gildart, just as an example, two of their you know solid players, to release them, it sort of si- si- uh, symbolises and signifies that they're throwing in the towel and they're giving up on the season. I don't really like what they've done there. You've got to keep those quality players there. Luciano Leilua, another one. Because this is the reason why you do not want results like these towards the back end of the season. Because a result like that can impact the club for such a long time. Their fans, their members, the players. It takes a very long time to get over a result like this. We saw the Broncos. They lost to Parramatta. Uh, was it 58-0? 58-2 or something like that in that 2019 uh, elimination final at Bankwest Stadium at the time. And they took years to get over that result. Now, you're telling me that the Tigers are going to bounce back from this uh, in a matter of weeks or even into next year. It's going to take time. And the rebuild, I think, is going to be a lot harder than we think. They've got a few good recruits there in Apisakorosian, probably Isaiah Papali'i. They've got uh, Tim Sheens coming in as coach. All good things, all positive things for the Tigers. However, culturally, this result is going to hurt and this is why you don't let players go on loan or release them uh, early from their contract because you want to make sure that you save pride in the jersey. Well, as fans, when we don't want to turn up to watch our team and think, well, it's not just the... I mean, a, a match like that, the players are being criticised for not turning up and giving up on their season. What about the club giving up on the season by letting the players go? I mean, that's... That surely sets the st- the tone, doesn't it? That that the the season is no longer important for them. They want to save a few dollars. They've written off the year for the rest of the year. Um, it's now a matter of oh, we'll just have a bit. We want to save a bit of money and and be right for next year. And they did that some time back. Gave up on the season. So as far as I'm concerned, they they can't really or, or fans. Fans, yeah, they're they're probably going to be cranky with the with the uh, with the players who took the field and, and consider that they've given up on the season. But man, as far as I'm concerned, the club themselves set that tone. And like further, they, further to that sixties, there's already rumblings that two of the players they've loaned out don't want to come back. You know, yeah, Oliver David Nofaluma has alluded to that. Yeah, David Nofaluma set the players' first ever final series and going to be in a contender, and then uh, Oliver Gildart, who went to the Roosters, I don't think you know. You can blame them given the the vast differences in the two cultures there. And the other thing that's really jumped out to me about the West Tigers and playing onto that, you know, the notion that they're giving up on the season. The poor Brett Kamali, who may or may not be a good or bad coach, we don't know. The West Tigers are that much of a mess, but he's been left installed as the caretaker coach for the rest of this year, essentially being the scapegoat for all these horrible losses with a roster that's been depleted by players being loaned out for cap relief next year. And yet they've got Tim Sheens at the club already, who is literally their coach of the future. I just don't understand why Tim Sheens hasn't stepped in to take over the reins there and start shaping the club as he sees fit. And instead, Brett Kamal is being left to cop all the negative press being associated with the Tigers at the moment. Well, I wonder whether Sheens has had some involvement and they're just not game to talk about his involvement at this point. Like I just have to wonder because you'd, you'd have to think that a bloke who's the incoming coach and is already in the organisation is probably going to be around there at training and is going to be making suggestions and offering advice and help for and, Brett Kamali. That is very likely, in which case it, it just it looks gutless that they're leaving Kamali out there to cop the brunt of the criticism. 
And like I said, he may or may not be a good coach. You know, results obviously not pointing in the positive direction for him, but at the same time, it's the West Tigers who have literally just chewed through coach after coach after coach for the last, you know, eight or ten years. And it's not just the criticism he's going to cop. It's his reputation. Yeah. I mean, he's his resume is looking worse by the week. And he obviously has aspirations in within the coaching ranks. And what is this? How does this help him in any way? It doesn't. It, it makes his likelihood of getting gigs harder, despite his playing uh, career. So yeah, yeah, a bit of a bit of a tough time for the, the Tigers. But you sense it's all of their own doing. Um, just moving on. I'm confused, Spiro. The the um, obstruction rule. As I can't, I can no longer pick when a try is going to be given the green flip, light. It is or a not. coin flip. It is honestly a coin flip. It's a, it's a funny one, guys. And and we we spoke about this off air before about that match against the Brisbane Broncos where Makahisi Makatoa uh, allegedly took out Adam Reynolds, from what I remember, or there was some sort of confusion there. So Parramatta have been on the receiving end of this throughout the year, but. I think the main one which caused confusion over the weekend was in the first match of the round with um, the Rabbitohs taking on the Panthers and Dylan Edwards scoring that try. He came under a bit of fire uh, because in the lead-up to the try, Lachlan Ilias, the half from South, Mm -hmm. appeared to be taken out by Isaac Tungo um, on his outside shoulder, but the referees believed that Lachlan Ilias wouldn't have made the tackle on Edwards. Therefore, it's not classified as an obstruction. But as you said, it's a toss of the coin. I think over the off-season, the NRL should be looking at this rule and just clearing the air on the obstruction because it's costly, especially in a game like Thursday nights where it came down to you know the last few minutes and a single try was a determining factor. They've got to get these decisions right. Now, um, it has to be reviewed, it has to be looked at, and there has to be that air of confusion eliminated because... It's confusing for people, for fans, but it's also confusing for people in the media. Now, when I work with the continuous call team on a Friday or Saturday night, sometimes the boys are really confused and they don't know or understand the rulings uh, that are being sort of handed down from the bunker. So they've got to clear the air. Something has to be done about it because it's really confusing. And I, I agree with you guys. It's a toss of a coin. Well, that instance on the weekend where it was ruled that um – Ilias wasn't going to be able to get across and make the tackle. He was he was really close to where that where that obstruction happened. I mean, he, like uh, the obstruction was close to where um, the fullback was coming through, and uh, you know, like that would have been one where if it had been uh, denied, if it had been called an obstruction, I wouldn't have had any problem with that. I mean, I don't even think it fell it falls into that category of. Um, where they can make a call in terms of a judgment call. Like you spoke about that, that issue earlier in the year where Mac Makatoa was a judge to have impeded uh, Reynolds when he's basically, it, it looked to us like it was Reynolds defensive decision. And it was his inside shoulder that um, collided with Mac Makatoa. But the, the play itself, the ball was 15 meters away, something like that from Reynolds. And, and, and the try line was like five metres away. He wasn't going to be involved in any defensive play there. You could see that it was a that was an easy one where a rep, you'd hope that a rep would make a judgment call. But that one, 
that one actually became a grey area judgment call. It wasn't even close. That's where I think, you know, the the rule as it was seemed would, would have fitted that perfectly, that um, it was a clear case of, of an obstruction right where the, the hole opened up. And, and arguably that was why the hole opened up and that the, the player had a reasonable chance of being there. It's, you know we're going to get an issue come finals time, don't you, fellas? Like oh, it's yeah. gonna, there's, it's there's going to be some drama at some point, yeah. And, you know, the, the pessimistic Parramatta supporter in me <laughs> feels the blue and gold that it's going to yeah. happen to us. Somewhere it's going to happen to us. So, um, yeah, I, look, I couldn't believe that 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 call was that passed it passed muster in that game. Um, I wasn't sorry that the Panthers beat South because that worked nicely for Parramatta. But by the same token, as a rugby league supporter, you want to see officials get calls right, regardless of what team is playing, because you know if they're getting calls right, then you're getting the right re- results for the right reasons in matches. Um, yeah, that was a real dubious one, real dubious one. I was just going to jump in and, and spearhead the next conversation point because I know it's your job this week, 60s, but I, I had to jump in for this one because I want to give a shout-out to Adam Pengilly of the Sydney Morning Herald who set himself up spectacularly for one of the most – it wasn't like he said anything controversial, but he set himself up for one of the most blow-up-in-your-face moments of the year when it came to the media because on Friday, August 19. He led with the headline, has the NRL finally solved this blowout problem? And wrote a, wrote a very good piece about, you know, referencing some information from Champion Data, who um, do help out TCT as well with our statistical stuff. But yeah, talking about how this year the NRL seems to have finally figured out its blowout problem, only for round 23 to happen and good Lord, blowout city. You know, when the Parramatta Eels win 42 to 6 and it's considered, you know, okay, whatever, you scored 40 points, that's not much this week. You know, something's gone crazy mm. wrong. Spiro, how did you see it? Because we had multiple 60-point showings. You already mentioned the Newcastle, sorry, Newcastle, the West Tigers game against the Sydney Roosters, but we had the Cowboys thump the Warriors. Eels obviously took over the Dogs with the, the big win there. Then we went the other games of the week. Well, the Dragons-Titans was just a high-scoring game in general. Uh, then we had the thrashing of the uh, shark, the Sharks thrashing the Seagulls, sorry, and then the, the Storm with the other 60-point game there. Yeah, so what happened this weekend? How did the the difference between the top eight and the bottom eight suddenly become such a, a golf? Well, it's pretty crazy because you kick off Thursday night, really close game, comes right down to the wire. Last five minutes, you think, gee, we're in for a really good round here. First game of Friday night footy, you can sort of understand it. I mean, Cowboys, Warriors, I thought it'd be a, a closer affair, but you can understand. All right, forty-eight to four, it's a it's a one-off. You just think that's going to be uh, you know an occasional uh, anomaly in the round. Then you get to the second game of Friday night footy. Now, after the first five minutes, I thought, gee, this is going to be an exciting game. You could just see really quick, high intensity, a lot of pressure. I thought it was going to be a great game, sellout crowd at Suncorp, and then it blew out big time. And it was it surprised me because the storm. Uh, had a few players out. That Xavier Coates out. Brandon Smith spent a bit of that second half on the sideline as well. So it was just bizarre. And then you go, like you said, you go to the Parry game and it's like, you know, 42 to 6 on any other week would be huge. But you thought, yeah, that probably would have been better if we scored a few more points. And you go through the round and it's just crazy because I think the most points ever scored in a round uh, on last weekend. So my view on it all is 
it's the end of the season. Some teams have nothing to play for, or you know, it, it's clear that they're just they're they're sort of tanking it a little bit. You know, teams like Manly letting the C- uh, Sharks score forty. It's 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 disappointing. It it is disappointing and poor because when you're playing at home in front of twelve thousand fans, you expect a better showing than that. The Tigers we've spoken about, you know, just disappointing to let a team score seventy points on you. You got to have a bit more dignity and pride in the jersey. Um, and the the Broncos was a bit of a surprise in front of their home crowd once again. They were in the contest. It was close at one point, and then they just let Melbourne get away with it. It's really soft and poor defence and. And that sort of performance for a team like the Broncos will impact them going into the finals, having 60 points scored on them. So, yeah, in my point of view, it's disappointing and it just shows that towards the back end of the year, these results do happen. But it's it's really odd, really bizarre. I think Manly would have been particularly upset because they had an outstanding record against Cronulla. 14 years, was it? Over. 14 years of victories over the, the Sharkies at Brookvale? Yeah, I think they in their history... Their entire history, I think they'd only ever lost five times. Wow! To the to the uh, to the Sharks. So since 1967, only five losses Damn. at Brooklyn. That is, I mean, that is some sort of record there, and it, and that's even going to years where the Sharks were strong and and, and Manly weren't so strong, and uh, they just couldn't get over Manly at, at Brookvale Oval. So that sort of scoreline, uh, like I expected Cronulla to win, but I thought. Manly's just going to have a real dig because it's they'll be play, trying to play for a, a, a little bit of pride, um, but also for that outstanding record that they've got there that you just felt that, you know, it's one of those things, isn't it, about history with certain clubs that, uh, it, you know, there's, there's some teams, it's like they've got that hoodoo over another team at a particular venue. And I know that it, it, all those things can be broken, but, yeah, that ended up an embarrassing score for them. Um, now we've just we've just mentioned about the uh, about the the results on the weekend. South should they be the ones now looking over their shoulder? Latrell Mitchell said the top teams needed to look over their shoulder for them. Uh, South aren't guaranteed of being in the top eight. No, the, the Raiders comeback over up. Newcastle means that the top nine teams are now in the shootout for the top eight. And yeah, what Souths have this week, it's the Roosters. Next week, it's the Melbourne Storm. Is that right? No, nah, it's Cowboys this week. Cowboys, uh, Cowboys Roosters and Roosters. Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah. So that, that is a brutal run home, whereas the Raiders have a relatively cupcake schedule in uh, of their, sorry, in contrast, if I just quickly look at the draw, uh, we go to round 24. Manly this week. Manly this week, that's right. And is it uh, next week they play St. George? St. George, is it? The Tigers. No, no, the Tigers. 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 So, you know, you'd, you'd, as inconsistent as Canberra are, you'd tip them to get the bickies in both those games, meaning that Souths need to win both games. Yeah. Yeah, look, I, I agree. I think Souths got to be careful here because Cowboys have been in good form, big win last week. The only thing in their favour is no Tom Dearden, uh, which I Poor think man. may throw, throw North Queensland just a little bit. Yeah, ruptured. Testicle. Well, I mean, the, what a terrible injury. We've had two players yeah. now this year. It feels like you never see that injury, injury, and suddenly we've got two of them. Uh, the uh, poor, poor Warriors player, uh, Geno Harris, Harris, Harris Tavita. Yeah, and then uh, obviously now Tom Dearden. Jeez, that's rough. Yeah, so, so for mine, I mean, look, South should win at least one of those. Now, they've got the Roosters at the new Allianz Stadium next Friday. Going to be a tough game, sellout crowd. 
and I reckon the Roosters will, will get up for that one. So it'll be interesting. But then you look at the Broncos as well. Parramatta this week, it's it's not going to be easy. I think Parramatta will come into that game with a lot of momentum. We have a, an okay record against the Broncos at Suncorp. I mean, we beat them the last couple of times we've played up there. So, yeah, it, it could go either way. I think the, the Raiders will be in the top eight. I think they'll be there. It's a matter of will South drop out or will the Broncos drop out? I think the Broncos are probably the team that will drop out, if anyone. So, yeah, I, 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 I mean, South should be looking over their shoulder, but I expect them to get at least one win heading into the, the finals. Well, I'll pose a question to you. Could the mm. Roosters miss out? They got the storm this week, and then the Rabbitohs. Yeah, they could. It's interesting because any of those three teams could. But you look at the four and against. That's the only thing. Yeah. Um. And the you know the Raiders are a fair bit behind. You know, Roosters and um and the Rabbitohs have more than a hundred positive four and against. So that'll help them. But um, it is but yeah. it is feasible for either one of those teams to lose both of their matches because they are mm. they are tough tough matches that they're facing. And especially when either South or the Roosters are going to drop at least one game because they play each yeah, other. Yeah, unless it's a draw, in which case. So yeah. if 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 either of those teams lose this week, hmm. uh, or imagine the scenario if they both lose this week. Oh my lord! Going into going into the following week. Yeah, that, that's like spicy. They will literally be playing for a spot in the finals. Yeah. Uh, and that was that was spoken about. Um, I reckon a month ago there was an article written about the opening of the new stadium and, and important what an important game that yep. could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it will, I'm sure it will be. Um, yeah, and I mean it's interesting for Parramatta because when you think about it, right? And it's always interesting looking at the ladder this time of year. And we've got to speak about it. Is if this weekend both the Roosters and Rabbitohs lose, which is a very uh, large possibility, and Parramatta managed to beat the Broncos, and we've secured. Home final. On the just, on the flip news. side, if the Roosters beat the Storm and we win out, we will leapfrog the Storm into the top four. So there is interesting stakes either side of these games here for the Parramatta Reels. Mm, there is. There is. I'd love to see Parramatta play Penrith week one of the finals, foot of the mountain, Friday night first game. I would love to see that. And then well, on the other hand, I'd love be, to see, yeah, home final. You'd be, you'd be guaranteed a spot up in the broadcast spot what, uh, as, uh, as part of the coverage, <laughs> wouldn't you, mate? Ah, uh, yes. I can't wait. I haven't been to Penrith in a while. I, I, it's probably the stadium I've been to the most this year, but the last game I think I went to at Penrith would have been when they played maybe even Parramatta. It's been ages or, or another game after that. So I'm, I'd am i love to see that. But then on the other hand, how good would it be to see Parramatta home final at, at uh, Combank against you know, Raiders or Broncos. I, I don't want to play South League <laughs> 1 because of our record we, against them. We do have to get that hoodoo off our back at some point, but yes, maybe not oh, this man. year. <laughs> not in the finals. And, uh, not in the finals. That's of not course, risk it there. the battle that no one's talking about is at the other end of the ladder where the Gold Coast Titans and the West Tigers, each with four wins apiece, the Tigers having the plus 60 advantage in four and against. But uh, this week it's Tigers v. Dragons, uh, Tigers home game and Gold Coast v Newcastle Gold Coast home game and obviously we know that the other game in round 25 is Canberra versus the Tigers but the Gold Coast have the Warriors away so this the battle for the Spoons is actually kind of spicy too because the ti- the Tigers of that game that they didn't end up suing the NRL over versus the Cowboys potentially going to cost them some or well, I'd say cost them as might eventually hand them some uh, cooking utensils 
or eight. Oh, I think it's I think it's a certainty. The Tigers are yeah, not going to win another game. They will not. They will not get close to winning another game. Yeah, I agree. They're, I think the Tigers will get the spoon. Uh, I think it, it, St George will beat them, and and Canberra could very well put a half century on them, which really will make a mess of uh, for and against for uh, some teams that they're chasing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, uh, just back on some of these teams that aren't going to make the finals. Um, a couple of players from Manly, uh, Marty Tapao and a- Andy Davey, um, their futures haven't been secured yet, have they, uh, Spiro? It's interesting, fellas, because there's a story around today off the back of a video released by the Manly Club, which was from Saturday night. Four players did a lap of honour because it was their final home match for the Seagulls. Now, Kieran Foran, as we know, heading to the Gold Coast next year, uh, Dylan Walker heading across the ditch to the Warriors. But the two other players that did that lap of honour, Marty Tapao and Andrew Davey, both remain unsigned. Now, there have been rumours previously earlier this year linking both of those players to Parramatta. We know the Andrew Davey rumours were actually false. However, he's still on the market. He did start his career at Parramatta and who knows where he'll end up. Marty was Tapao, there, was those... Was there talk about Andrew Davey ending up at the Bulldogs? That, that was the most recent mail, but then Davey came out and lashed out at the NRL for a lack of uh, clarity regarding the salary cap situation because I think he might have had an agreement in principle to sign with Canterbury, but they're waiting to see what the cap situation is moving into 2023. Oh. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, a bizarre, it's a bizarre situation. The one that I'm more excited about is Marty Tapao. There were rumours linking him to Parramatta only a couple of weeks ago. And I feel like he's the kind of guy, bring on a maybe a one or two year contract. I doubt he'd take a one year contract. I think it'd have to be two years. Bring him to Parramatta and his experience and leadership may be beneficial. We saw with Regan Campbell-Gillard and Bryce Cartwright, two guys that probably weren't playing their best football before coming to Parramatta. What a difference of a change of scenery makes. And I think that could very well be the case with Marty Tapao. So he might he may make his way to the Eels, and that would be a great signing. So I'm hoping that pulls off, given uh, a number of our forwards that are moving on. Oregon Kafusi, there'll be a spot on the bench there for an impact forward off the bench. And I think Marty Tapao might serve that purpose really well. So has Oregon Kafusi squeezed Andrew Fafita out of the Sharks team, or is that just a case of Fafita's going to wind up his career now? Well, I think so. The, the the breaking news this afternoon is that Andrew Vafita will hang up the boots at Cronulla, but he is open to offers from other clubs. So he hasn't conceded that he's going to retire at this point. He's probably going to test his value on the open market. There was talk that maybe the Tigers may be interested in his services from next year, so we'll keep an eye on that. But it may very well be the case that Oregon Kafusi coming to the club uh, who may play that role off the bench is – replacing Andrew Fafita and, and the reasoning behind Fafita's retirement is that he wants the young forwards to be given the chance to come through the ranks at the club and be given their opportunity and Oregon is a part of that from next year so it'll be interesting to see how it pans out we may see Fafita run around for another year he's had a fantastic season I think I was reflecting over the weekend that he is on fire and he's got some great size and bulked up nicely and as we know, a year ago, he was put on life support or he was in a, a, an induced coma after suffering a bad injury up at uh, Morton Daly Stadium. So good on you, Andrew Fafita. A wonderful career for the Sharks. And 
a lot of people reminiscing on that all-important try he scored in the 2016 grand final to bring the trophy home to Cronulla for the first time. So he'll be a very, very important part of the club's history, but he will not be in the uh, the uh, black, white and blue beyond 2022. They are just moving closer to home, back into paradise uh, territory. The uh, Parramatta Eels, uh, the Blue and Gold Alliance, which represents the Parramatta Old Boys, uh, staged the annual players' reunion. And, uh, Spiro, I just thought we'd throw this in here because uh, Forty and I were privileged to be a part of that. We were in there taking some photos, having a, a chat with some of the players. Uh, our kind thanks there to uh, Bill Richards, uh, the chairman of the Blue and Gold Alliance, for uh, making that happen for us. But, uh, look, it was a great event, Uh what was your take on their uh, their lap of honour and uh, the crowd being able to acknowledge uh, their uh, their contributions to the club via that lap of honour? I thought it was a really nice touch and sitting in the fa- in the stands a few moments before kickoff to see the boys walk around and then to form that wonderful guard of honour mm-hmm. was a, a lovely moment. You know, we haven't really seen something that significant at Parramatta or at uh, Combank Stadium since it opened. Really, to be honest, because you had the women, then you had the lap of honour for the old boys, pretty much close. It was a sellout crowd against an arch rival in the Bulldogs. And it's it's nice that we can acknowledge our old boys who have created such a legacy at the club and done so much uh, for the, the Parramatta Eels. So it was wonderful. It was just a lovely, lovely moment seeing them make the lap of honour. And my personal highlight was that guard of honour, a great way to top off a, a wonderful day. And I wasn't there for the... Uh, 75th anniversary, that just happened to be the week where I got COVID. Uh, however, uh, I'm, the feedback I had from that day was there weren't too many former players that, that did a lap of honour prior to the match. So I guess in, a, in what is our 75th year, it was good to have such a, a turnout of former players. And that now leads me into the, uh, the next thing I wanted to talk to you about was the afternoon games saturday 3 p.m that was actually a sellout crowd at combank stadium they weren't allowed to sell any more tickets they had about twenty six and a half thousand people that turned up the empty seats were basically people who who have tickets or season tickets but didn't turn up on the date they could not sell well, didn't and didn't res- on sell them with the club resources so yeah huge huge performance mm. how good yeah was and, it and you mentioned that? oh it was so good, guys. And, and walking uh, from where we parked the car into the stadium with, you know, my dad, brother and a few friends of ours that we went to the match with, I was reflecting on the fact that that was our first Saturday afternoon 3 p.m. game of the season. I couldn't believe it. And uh, it was such a great occasion. We had a bite to eat beforehand, got in there, caught the end of the women's game and then really enjoyed the atmosphere and the build-up to a blockbuster clash. And I love afternoon footy. I think... Yes, you know, para fans love it. They want more afternoon games. And we've got to look at the scheduling. The NRL has to look at the scheduling going forward and say, well, if Parramatta and the Bulldogs can get 26,000 on a Saturday afternoon, 26,500, that's what we've got to do. We've got to work on that because it's a, a nice time slot. You can go to the footy, enjoy a game, but then also kick on and, and the night is young, if you know what I mean. So it's great. We've got to do more of it. It was an absolute pleasure to be in the stands. Great weather. Great atmosphere, a brilliant game, which we'll get into in just a moment. And I loved it. So, yes, I want to see more after 
afternoon game. I'm keen to hear what you guys have to say. And I'm sure a lot of TCT listeners agree. The messaging amongst our TCT peer group and then just everyone that jumped on the website in general was how good was it to have Saturday afternoon football back. And, you know, we've we've had a really weird schedule. First half of the season featured almost no primetime games, almost consigned exclusively to the Saturday 5.30, 7.30 slots with a little bit of Sunday football thrown in too. Uh, and then the back half of the season has been almost exclusively Thursday, Friday night primetime football. And then we arrive here in the what was the old boys' day. Uh, and, yeah, getting that 3 p.m. kickoff was just so nice. You know, glorious weather. 60s, you exclaimed to me, we're watching the start of the NRL game. And you're like, are they people still trying to get into the front gate? And it was backlogged because we had that perfect view in off the thoroughfare in, into that, uh, I think it's gate B. And, yeah, people were still streaming in. So, yeah, really strong response by the fans. You know, in a game that, while it had a plenty at stake for Parramatta in terms of chasing that top four spot and also, you know, helping secure a potential top eight finish, uh, the, the Bulldogs weren't bringing much in the way of anything for their season. So it wasn't like the away fans were travelling and filling up the stadium, the, the blue and gold army just turned out. I think there was, and, and this is where I think the NRL could do a bit of planning around it. I, I don't think it's a case of willy-nilly throwing in Saturday afternoon games because I think we've seen in the past that a 3 p.m. Saturday game can also get a very, very low turnout. There was a couple of things that I help, think helped, uh, one of which was I believe that the... Um, some of the junior leagues went into the finals football last week. So there were a lot of young young kids that had finished their football commitments for the year. So I think there were some families that were able to get to a three o'clock Saturday uh, game that might not normally be able to get to it. So I think um, that either uh, early in the season or late in the season, it might work. Maybe early in the season might be a bit too hot. But then you also have to think about the clubs that you draw playing each other and the venue that it's at. Now, that Parramatta versus Canterbury seemed to work perfectly for a 3 p.m. Saturday late in the season game. Plus the the, the also added significance of the two curtain raiser games in the New South Wales Cup and the NRLW launch. Yeah, so it was was really a day of football and we commented that it was so good to see quite a – quite a nice number of people already in the stadium to watch the kickoff for the NRLW. It would have been, um, would have been comfortably four or 5,000, you'd say, 60s, right? Oh, e- easy, easy. And not and not everyone was out there in the seats because it was in the sun. You know, that's, the, that's probably the one drawback of a Saturday afternoon game is that if you're in the Eastern Stand, that you're looking into the sun. So it can get – we're over there and it can get a little bit uncomfortable – um, being there looking into the sun, uh, and especially in warmer weather at the start of the year, it's it's not a time that I'm I'm particularly fond of. I prefer the nighttime football when it is um, still in March and it's just a bit too hot, um, you know, weather wise in the afternoon. However, we did see a lot of people seem to be congregating as well in those uh, areas at the back of the concourse where um, they're not in their seats, but they're standing there watching the game from there. So I would have said that there was somewhere between five to 8,000 there at the at the start of the um, uh, NRLW game. And certainly by the time we were halfway through the NRLW game, there was at least ten to 12,000 that were in there. So, um, yeah, and, and just quickly, um, real commendation for the Roosters NRLW team. They were... They're the gold standard. They, they looked good. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, the their reigning champions. Their, their strike centres were just um, outstanding. Um, the fullback and the halves just combined really well. So yeah, they they remain the gold standard and uh, and probably the the one that I suggested is is going to be right up there in Newcastle. They showed in their victory over the Broncos that uh, their recruitment has been spot on for this year. They're going to go from mm. not winning a game last year to uh, threatening the title this year by the looks of it. And if I can just jump in there quickly as well, credit to Parramatta. Um, I didn't get to see the whole NRLW game uh, live in the stadium. However, I was keeping an eye on the scores on, on the way in and while we're having a bite to eat beforehand. And when you look at it, you know, the Roosters got off to a good start, double to Isabel Kelly, and they were leading, you know, three tries to, to none. Parramatta bounced back nicely, you know. Um, I was impressed by uh, Sally Mylungi. She has been a bit of a revelation. We had Nita Maynard playing at hooker, but Sally was great on Saturday. And Samaima Taufa, the captain, leading from the front. They edged their way back into the game, and it could have been very easy after those three early tries for the Roosters for our goals to throw in the towel and let it be a bit of a blowout. But they put up a good fight and, and well done to them. It's going to be a hard season because, as I mentioned in last week's podcast, they're a very, very young side. And all the other teams you know, have quality, you know, a, a huge representation of representative players and whatnot. And it'll be difficult for our girls. But if they can win a couple of games along the way, it'd be, it'd be great. They've got the Dragons at Combank Stadium this Sunday at 12 o'clock. And as we know, the Dragons got a good win last week over the Titans. But, yeah, good to see the return of the women's game. Uh, Newcastle, as I said last week, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. Jesse Southwell, the 17-year-old, youngest debutant in the NRLW or for the Knights. And uh, she was just on fire. Yeah. So um, uh, just now, that's a, a good lead into our Eels. The bounce mm. back were, I mean, can we? Can we? Do you think it's possible that we can start to move past uh, that bounce back into the the drop off? Can we continue that bounce back into a bit of momentum this week? Uh, look, just quickly, I want to. I think yes. I think this is the week we need back to back wins. Heading into the finals, heading into our last home game of the season, we need a win this Thursday night, and I think we can do it. Just focusing on the Bulldogs game quickly, I want to single focus on a couple of individual efforts, which I was really impressed by. Uh, Dylan Brown, an amazing game for him. Two tries, two try assists. Now, last year, I think he had maybe four try assists the whole season. And we're talking now, he's, he's you know getting two each game and two tries. He was absolutely brilliant. And he worked off Mitch so well. Probably one of the best combos that they've formed so far this season. And that's what you want to see this time of year. You know, Mitch and Dylan playing off each other really, really well. The kicking game of Mitchell Moses, uh, you know, and his kicks leading to Dylan Brown tries just shows how closely they've been working at training to really form that important lethal combination heading into the, the final back end of the year. So well done to the halves, Dylan Brown, Mitchell Moses. Sean Lane, 75 minutes, 75 minutes, our, our highest uh, highest minutes that a forward actually played, excluding Reid Marnie at hooker. A great effort for him. You know, he just he works off Dylan Brown so nicely and 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 helps his game a lot. And Brad mentioned that in the post match press conference and has spoken about that at some length so far this year. So great performance for Sean Lane. Good to see Offahiki Ogden get just a few more minutes. It'd be nice to see him get more next week. But Bryce Cartwright is the last player I want to mention. 
18 minutes, but I just felt like he brought something different when he came onto the field and injected a bit of life into the side. And he has been in some really good form. It's been a shame that we haven't seen enough of him this year. But I think heading into the finals, we've got to have him on the bench as a bit of an X factor and a utility for Para. Yeah, I, look, I, I have to echo your sentiments with uh, with all of that as well. I was impressed with Cartwright's time out there on the field, and I would have liked to have seen a little bit more time for Ogden in the uh, in the back end of the game on the weekend. Um, Dylan Brown, what an interesting observation he was, and I I, I have a something different about his play that I admired out of the weekend. That was far from a perfect game from Dylan. He made uh, a couple of early errors. Uh, there was a, mm. a, the, the cold dropped ball and that was there was that awful forward pass on his own quarter line that led to the uh, Bulldogs getting their first try uh, from the, the scrum that resulted from that pass. And Times like that, I was starting to think, well, in the game, I was starting to think, is he not with us today? Is he having one of those matches where he just hasn't quite got the focus? Because when he threw that forward pass, it was on out to the left when the when uh, the possession had come their way. But Dylan, a switched on Dylan, would have start, his first thought would have been to run the ball and then link. Uh, and instead, he just threw what turned out to be a really wild pass. Now, having done that, he's then turned around and he's produced so many moments in the rest of the game that were just simply outstanding. Now, that's what I like. That was almost James Maloney-esque. Like, James Maloney could make an error, but the best thing about James Maloney throughout his career was he had the memory of a goldfish where if something went wrong, he'd immediately put it behind him. He'd forget that he'd done it and just go straight on to the next play. And I thought that that was maybe the first time that I'd seen really seen that from Dylan Brown to that, to that extent. And that's what made me the happiest about his play that day. And the other observation about Dylan Brown, now I look at his stats really closely just through work. And I've taken a bit of an interest in it. Try assist, right? You look at the last couple of seasons. Uh, 2019, five try assists. 2020, five try assists. 2021, two try assists. 2022, 15 try assists. So he has had more try assists this year than the past three years combined. That is a mammoth effort. And that's what you want from your six, right? When you looked at the stats of Cody Walker last year, he had a ton of try assists. And South did well off the back of that. And you're seeing that with Parramatta. When Dylan is on fire, Parramatta play well. Even you look at offloads, 14 offloads so far this year. In all the previous seasons, he's been around that 6-7 mark. Or you look at tries, 10 tries this year. All previous seasons, 4 tries. So he has taken his game to the next level. I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's going to be the Ken Thornett medalist for Parramatta when that award ceremony takes place in a couple of weeks' time. He has been one of our best players this year. He deserves the accolades. He's taken his game to the next level and a big, big future ahead. Mate, that's a big call because um, he's going to have stiff competition from Sean Lane. Yes. Uh, But, you know, as soon as you started quoting those stats, I'm sitting there nodding because a few weeks ago when I was looking at what was happening with the Eels' spine, 
and I had a look at some general stats for each of those players, and Mitch Moses was producing a, a season stats-wise which was very similar to the seasons before. Dylan Browns was a marked increase, and at that stage, Clint Gutherson was a, a big drop on previous seasons, and Reed Marnie was also a really big drop on previous seasons. But the so we had that consistency from Mitch Moses, we had a big lift from Dylan Brown, and we had a bit of a drop from the other two. Now, I think it's fair to say that Clint Gutherson has taken the bull by the horns after um, that uh, you know run of bad form that he had, or certainly not gutho form that he had, and he's turned it around. Even in that game against South, he was one of the you know I would have hated to have seen the score if he hadn't played that day. To be honest, he came up with some big defensive plays that um, you know stopped South from really getting away from from us but um yeah uh, dylan brown he'll definitely be right up there mate i think that's a it, it's a big call but i think it's it's you're on the money if he doesn't get the ken thornet he'll pick up one of the other gongs for sure for the nr for the nrl team they might even do a joint it might be who knows if it's tied and we have seen that in the past from what i uh, recall it may be a tie between sean lane and dylan brown and that's a credit to what those two have created and we would have been very, very lost without them this year. Yeah, certainly their combination on that side has added a new dimension to the Eels' attack. Forty, have you you prepared to make a, a call one way or the other on a, a Kenthornet medal? My brother was having this conversation for me in the wake of the Canary Bulldogs game, and he is all in on Sean Lane. So I, I can, I mean, you know, I'm a sucker for a, a good forward getting a gong. So. Laney's been out of his world this year, and, and obviously he's really come to the forefront in more, more recent weeks where he, the numbers just jumping off the stat sheet. But we've been talking about him on the podcast all year because he's had some really clutch moments in those big games earlier in the season, up against the Melbourne Storm, the charge down, up against the Penrith Panthers, the try assists. So he's been a huge factor for the Eels. And as good as Dylan is, I, I am leaning towards the uh, the tall man there. And like you said, Sixties, if Dill doesn't get. Uh, either outright or a share of the Ken Fournette, I'd expect him to feature as uh, one of the other um, major gongs of the night. You know what it might come down to? We always we always try to champion the cause of the unheralded unheralded big guy out there on the field, and the and that those damn flashy backs getting all the accolades. <laughs> <laughs> so so whether we'd come to uh, short Sean Lane's defence if if Dylan edges him out. For the the uh, Dally M, uh, look, it's it'd be, a, you know what? If he edges him out, it'd be a fair call. It'd be a fair call. Oh, yeah. but, I don't think anyone would be too upset. No, no, no sensational touch. Too upset, but and the other you thing, know, you well, know how forwards feel about the flashy backs getting all the accolades. But like like Spiro said, they're actually interconnected too. Being the left edge back row and the left edge half, like the, their form has skyrocketed on an individual level because of the synergy between the two of them. So you know, one winning that award would be in due, largely due to the other helping prop them up. So, it'd be, Well, we're giving them their speech. You know, <laughs> whoever wins it gets up and says, do you know what? Couldn't have done this without. This award belongs yep. to. Insert. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but, you know, when you look at it, right, and I, I, I think they do it based on that point system. You know, they score points for each round. But in terms of biggest improver, you'd, you'd probably have to think Dylan's probably leaning towards 
based on the stats and based on his involvement, he's probably had a, a much improved season. So maybe that he wins an award of that kind as well. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think I agree with you guys. It'll be one of those two. I'm going to stick with Dylan Brown. Though. I'm going to I'm going to be the not devil's advocate, but I'll be the odd one out and say Dylan Brown to win the Canthornet. Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay, well, that's. Um, I think we've just about covered everything that there is to cover across the NRL and across the Parramatta Reels. Anything that we're missing at this stage, fellas? No, I think that's it. We've, we've got it all covered. Big game this week against the Broncos. If we can secure a win, as I mentioned, we will guarantee ourselves a home final, uh, even if that means, you know, I know we've still got a chance to finish in the top four, but regardless, a win this week, means we will have a home final at some point in the finals, which is the, great. The one thing we didn't touch on is we have clarity for now about the future of the NRL grand final. In the short term, at least, it's staying in Sydney, but there's talk that that might not be the long-term plan. Uh, yes, yeah, that's a, that, is a, that is a fair call. We've, we, have been, we have talked about that in the past, and, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm no fan of... Um, Super Bowl type bidding for hosting a grand final. Can we leave a little bit of tradition in the game? Just a smidgen. Isn't it funny because this was a real subtext to our talk with the legends at the Bourne Gold Alliance luncheon about how much money has changed the game. And this just feels like the latest in that cycle where money is driving tradition, you know, out of the game here with the last bastion, last great bastion of the game. Yeah. You know, look, I, I want to just jump in here and just make a couple of comments quickly. Um, I agree with you guys. I love the tradition. Selfishly, I want the grand final to stay in Sydney. I think it's important. I think even from a player's point of view, they love playing it here. However, you can sort of understand and in looking at a positive and, and the silver lining of it all, if we do go to a Super Bowl concept, right, most likely it'll be between Sydney and Brisbane, right? It'll be played between the two, whoever bids the most. I doubt... You know, they're really going to take it to Perth or Adelaide or, you know, Melbourne. You know what I mean? It, it's going to be Sydney, Mel- Sydney, Brisbane, probably. But when you look at the money that the game are potentially going to draw in by making it a Super Bowl style of concept, it's going to be big because we can invest that in, in grassroots, in the women's part of the game, in making the NRL a better game itself. So I just feel like, yes, as much as I wanted to stay in Sydney commercially, it's a big thing, and it could be could uh, serve huge benefits for the NRL by taking it interstate financially, which could have huge benefits for the game long term. You know, it's Sparrow. One of the reasons that I mention about that tradition is that commercially, the jersey changes make make sense every year, right? Because people keep up to date with jerseys, and they'll go out and they'll buy the new stuff. So it makes absolute commercial sense for um, the for teams to have a range of jerseys every year. Some of the clubs this year, I can't even keep track of of uh, how many jerseys they've had. It, it, uh, I seem to recall the the Cowboys, the Titans have had a range of jerseys. How many was Manly up to with their um, oh, pride jersey? Maybe uh, it's close to ten. <laughs> but you know, I just I just think. Should should it be that when there is so much lack of clarity and lack of tradition around the game that the one thing that we know every year is that the NRL Grand Final 
is going to be played in what is still the heartland of rugby league, and that's the Sydney area. Because, yes, Queensland is is a great rugby league state. There's no There's no denying that. But where else... You know how we've taken games away from Sydney to take them interstate for the state of origin. It's, I think, there's almost like a line in the sand moment where you go, how, just how much is tradition worth to the competition? And the cynic in me says, the NRL has never reinvested like they should in grassroots footy or or the women's game. So, you know, I I totally understand. I get where you're coming from, from the commercial point of view. It almost feels like um, it's a point where it's too good to, to pass up. Um, but we do that with so many other aspects of the game. I'd just love to see a bit of tradition stay within the game. And if we can't keep our jerseys the same, at least let's keep a, let's keep a venue uh, the same and have everyone aspire to play in the big event in the in the biggest city in Australia because that's what a Sydney will always be the biggest city in Australia soapbox time finished and <laughs> 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 uh, it's it's certainly going to lead to more galvanizing discussion as they move forwards or stay still depending on how they they take that stand and you know based on feedback and of a different analysis they're going to do. But one way or the other, it's going to <laughs> provoke some very, very interesting discussion when they do make a definitive decision on whether the grand final stays in Sydney or goes on the road. But when that happens, we'll talk about it. Until that point, though, boys, we'll call it quits here with another wrap on another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, thanks for stopping by and giving us a listen. Hope you enjoyed another crazy week of the NRL. Just This, this is the season that keeps on giving when it comes to crazy plot points and storylines and we are getting so close to the finals now where obviously we want the Eels to make a deep push, but it's just going to be fascinating to see some you know, rampant teams and the likes of the Sydney Roosters and whatnot and the Melbourne Storm starting to get back together, how they can take on the might that is the Penrith Panthers and obviously how Parramatta fits into that puzzle. 160 minutes till finals football, mate. Yes, sir, 160 minutes Not long to, to, go now. to sort it all out, whether we finish top four, how we finish in the top eight, if we get a home final week one or week two, depending on those results there, so... There is so much to play for in so little time. And as always, we're going to be covering each and every step of that along the way, including the NRLW, the New South Wales Cup, as they push into the finals. So, yeah, keep uh, keep tuning in to TCT, and we'll catch you guys in the next episode. Go you, Eels. Come on, Farah.